Welcome to the Bob Harden Show, bringing you news and commentary to keep you informed and enjoying life on the Paradise Coast. And now, here's your host, Bob Harden. Good morning. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by the good folks at Johnson's Air Conditioning. Johnson's Air Conditioning is Naples' longest established air conditioning company. You can find out more and give them a call. The website is johnsonsairconditioning.com. Also brought to you by Life in Naples magazine. Be in the know and stay up to date by reading Life in Naples. The website is lifeinnaples.net. We have a terrific show for you today with guest Bob Levy. He's a senior fellow emeritus in Constitutional Studies and former chairman of the Cato Institute for 14 years. We continue our conversation about the tension between national security and our civil liberties. And Professor Andrew Joppa will be joining us well. We'll be talking about the implications for global chaos. We see what's going on in China and Iran, Russia, uh, even in South America and Brazil. Uh, We'll talk about that as well. It is November the 30th, and on this day in 1876, Yale defeated Princeton 2 to nothing in Hoboken, New Jersey, in the first collegiate football game played on Thanksgiving. Nearly 1,000 fans attended the game, played in the cold, rainy weather. The friends of both teams uh, mustered in good force, according to the New York Times report. Several carriages containing ladies were on the ground, and a good, goodly number of alumni were there to cheer the contestants, quote-unquote. The football was oval and made of leather, the Times noted, similar to those used in rugby union rules. The game resembled rugby more than a present-day football game. Playing conditions were not ideal. Here's a quote. The ground was so hard that terrific thumps and bruises were the rule and not the exception. That, according to the Daily Herald in New York, the Yale team uh, wore blue skull caps, shirts, stockings of the same color, and white flannel trousers. Uh, The Princeton lads were gorgeous, in their orange and black uniforms, the report was from the uh, Daily Herald. A play came became ragged with a game reportedly resembling Greco-Roman wrestling. Perhaps the first example of college football trash talk was noted by the Daily Herald. Just wait a while and we will show these fellows something. <laughs> a Princeton player was uh, quoted. The Yale Princeton uh, Thanksgiving game started a collegiate tradition. Later in the 19th century, the universities of Kansas, Missouri, Michigan, and others began playing football on the holiday. On November 6, 1869, a little more than four years after the end of the Civil War, Rutgers defeated Princeton 6-4 in the very first college football game. And, of course, congratulations to the United States in defeating Iran uh, yesterday, one to nothing. What a game. So interesting, and they move on uh, in the competition. Playing Saturday, actually. It's official. All was undecided. House races have been called, and Republicans now hold 222 seats. That's just above the 218 they needed for a majority. For the first time in decades, New York was the deciding factor in the midterm elections. Uh, Republican gubernatorial candidate Lee Zeldin pushed the GOP over the goal line. In this uh, blue state, deep blue state, Zeldin Hill garnered at 47% of the vote in a state where Democrats usually win by 20%. But the, he pushed uh, up GOP turnout in battleground congressional districts. Republicans won four Democrat congressional seats, two on Long Island and two in the Hudson Valley. They also held on to an open Syracuse seat that was voted for Joe Biden by nine points. 
Those five victories are the difference between a GOP takeover of the House and Nancy Pelosi's likely continuing on as Speaker of the House. New York proves that uh, when Republicans run an effective campaign with, without flawed candidates, they can make a difference, even in blue states. Republicans had a, po- a potent set of issues like crime, inflation, and taxes to use against Democrats in the Empire State, but few pundits thought that this would even work in New York, where so many of the votes were once supported by George Pataki, Rudy Giuliani, or Michael Bloomberg have passed on or moved to other states, redder states. After all, Biden carried New York State by 61 to 38 percent in 2020. <clears throat> Well, finally, after all the ballots are counted in the state legislative races as well, the state legislative races this year, Democrats surprisingly flipped majority control of four legislative bodies. The Republicans have had control of 61 of the 99 chambers, and now they have 57 to 41 for Democrats. Democrats gained control of the Michigan House, Michigan Senate, uh, Minnesota House, and Pennsylvania House. For Republicans, this was a disappointing result as the GOP had hoped to pick up two more chambers. But in a normal election, an average of 12 chambers flips party. So this was a mostly uh, status quo election on the state level. The one state where Republicans suffered major losses was Michigan. For the first time in many years, Democrats had a trifecta of both the legislative chambers and the governorship. My concern, of course, is the highest priority for Governor uh, Gretchen Whitmer will be to repeal the state right-to-work law in uh, Michigan. You know, the people had a chance to speak, and they spoke, and now they get what they deserve, uh, having uh, Gretchen Whitmer continue as their governor. Well, Project Veritas, this is a very important story, and there's, it's going to expand, and we'll understand more later, but <clears throat> on Tuesday, Project Veritas released video of a Department of Human Health and Human Services whistleblower revealing U.S. tax dollars were spent to put children in the hands of criminals. Tara Lee Rodas, a true, uh, I think, uh, hero, Council of Inspectors General on Integrity and Efficiency told Project Veritas that the U.S. government is in complicit in child trafficking. One migrant child said that her female sponsor would pimp her to men, uh, a young girl, Oh, wow. And the uh, tax dollars of people who are listening to my testimony are paying to put children in the hands of criminals, she said. Rodas continued, our sponsors typically are not citizens. They're not permanent residents. They don't have a legal presence. The sponsor can hold an order of deportation to a migrant child and say, this is your order of deportation. If you do not do what I say, when I say, I'm going to call ICE on you myself. We're paying to put children in the hands of these criminals, she said. The whistleblower affirmed that she had questioned federal government bureaucrats about the potential wrongdoing happening with the institutions, and the response was usually very dismissive of her concerns. She believes she suffered retaliation at work for those issues as well. This is very disturbing, actually, uh, listening to the representative of uh, Project Veritas uh, he was saying that uh, they went and banged on doors and uh, found as many as 22 kids living with adults in a small apartment. And uh, this is uh, just outrageous, totally outrageous. Our, our, and our dollars, our tax dollars are helping to pay for this. We'll expand this story as we learn more, but it was shocking to see the video uh, from uh, Project Veritas. 
Well, San Francisco elections used to be a running joke, and the city competed with Chicago for election fraud. So John Arntz, a veteran city bureaucrat, was appointed 20 years ago as elections director to clean up the mess. And by all accounts, he's done a pretty darn good job. But last week, the city's election commission voted that because he was a white male, they were not renewing his contract. I'm not kidding. Instead, they are hiring a search firm to find a possible replacement who is in line with the commission's racial equity plan. I'm not kidding. They're really doing this. Commission President uh, Chris Jernodic uh, wrote to him, Our decision wasn't about your performance, but after 20 years, we wanted to take action on the city's racial equity plan and give people an opportunity to compete for a leadership position. Some folks have forgotten the history of this department, City Attorney uh, David Chu said. Uh, before Director Arntz, we had five directors in as many years, ballot boxes floating in the bay, and an intense lack of confidence in city elections. Many of us are mystified. Just two years ago, the Election Commission wrote Arntz a commendation for his incredible leadership. The demise of our great American cities is an ongoing tragedy made worse by an epidemic of woke politics and policies. Can you imagine that? Taking somebody who's getting... Uh, commendation for incredible leadership, and then uh, a couple years later, firing him because he doesn't fit into their social equity plan. What total nonsense. Well, the Board of Supervisors of Cochise County in Southeast uh, Arizona voted to table certification of the 2022 general election until Friday, missing Monday's deadline. Voters in Cochise, uh, who include the uh, county seat of Bisbee and the popular tourist town of Tombstone, cast approximately 47,000 ballots in November 8th election. The board plans to take up certification of the election again on Friday after hearing arguments for and against the decision. The board's chair, Democrat Ann English, said Monday, there is no reason for us to delay certifying the election, but Republican supervisors Tom Crosby and Peggy Judd voted her down. Prior to the election, the board had voted to conduct a full-hand audit count of the ballots over concerns about the accuracy and security of the tabulation machines. Secretary of State and then Democrat gubernatorial candidate Katie Hobbs threatened to sue the county if it conducted a full hand count. The Arizona Alliance for Retired Americans, a civil rights group, and Cochise County residents sued to block the expanded audit, arguing it was illegal, the Arizona Mirror reported. Lawyers from Elias Law uh, you've heard of Elias, the firm founded by Mark Elias, who typically represents Democrats and often litigates voting rights, argued that for the plaintiffs, uh, the news outlet said. On Monday before the November 8th election, a judge ruled that the county could not conduct its expanded audit of the election, saying the law requires at least 2% of the voting precinct to be randomly selected. And by common definition, a selection of precincts is not random if all precincts are chosen, said the judge. Elias tweeted Monday that if his firm sues Cochise County again over the board's decision not to certify, uh, they will proceed. One guy who uh, said he voted for certification in a different county said he's doing it under duress because he was threatened with lawsuits and and, uh, charge of, uh, of a felony if he didn't cooperate. This is just, this is America, this is uh, banana republic type of activity on the part of elected election officials. Just incredible. Well, the Biden administration admitted it's rushing to track the $20 billion the U.S. gave Ukraine to fight a proxy war against Russia. 
Republicans who are poised to take control of the House in January have promised to audit the immense amount of money our Congress has been shipping off to fight another country's war. Among the goal of the audit would be determining how much of the money ended up in the wrong hands, as previously tracking efforts proved the Biden administration only inspected a small fraction of the funds. Republicans are not without allies across the aisle in this effort. As it turns out, there's still a few truly and consistently anti-war folks left in the Democrat bench who share the GOP concern over our involvement in this conflict. The taxpayers deserve to know the investment is going and where it's intended to go, said Representative Jason Crow, a Democrat from Colorado. In any war, there can be missteps and misallocation of supplies. According to reports, only 10% of the 22,000 weapons the U.S. gave Ukraine between February and November 1st have been inspected. The threats of an audit have led to a lot of hand-wringing by warmongers in both parties as well as overseas. Members of the parliament have worried out loud that these investigations may lead to the U.S. cutting its funding to the Ukraine altogether, which would be, um, I think, pretty good. And while we should consider absolutely not be involved in this proxy war that is threatening global peace, spurring an energy crisis and deepening the recession many countries, including our own, are experiencing, a basic audit of the funds is the bare minimum here. It's outrageous that we're sending billions of dollars to a cause at all, much less without any idea of how the money is being utilized. Unbelievable. Well, thank you, Rand Paul, for leading this effort, quite frankly, but uh, we should find out we should find out where this money is going. This segment of the show brought to you by the good folks at Johnson's Air Conditioning, Naples' longest established air conditioning company. The website is johnsonsairconditioning.com. Also brought to you by Life in Naples magazine. Be in the know and stay up to date by reading Life in Naples. The website is lifeinnaples.net. Coming up, Bob Levy, former chairman of the Cato Institute. That and more right here on the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden Show here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. I'm Bob Harden, the host of The Bob Harden Show. One of my favorites for breakfast or lunch is Lulabee's Diner, providing great service, fabulous food, and a rockin' good time. Lulabee's Diner is a throwback to the 60s, complete with great music and a fabulous 60s decor. What I like best is a blend of great food, great value, and terrific service. Most of the friendly waitstaff has been part of Lulabee's for years. I enjoy the great choices for breakfast and lunch, and you'll find the menu has everything and anything to satisfy your taste. Lulabee's offers catering, party platters, lunch boxes, and more. Lulabee's Diner will quickly become one of your favorites for breakfast or lunch. No reservations are needed. Check out the website at lulabees.com and stop by Lulabee's Diner, open from 8 a.m. until 2 p.m., seven days a week. Lulabee's Diner in the Green Tree Shopping Center at the corner of Immokalee and Airport Pulling Roads. Stop by Lulabee's Diner for fabulous food and for a forever cool rockin' good time. Thank you. 
Collier County Sheriff Kevin Rambaugh says the number one reason the elderly become victims is isolation. The Collier Senior Center goes a long way in keeping seniors connected with the community and with each other. The Collier Senior Center, located at 4898 Coronado Parkway in Golden Gate, provides comprehensive information regarding services and resources that affect the quality of life of older adults and their caregivers in Collier County, empowering them to maintain independent and meaningful lives. Here's Esther Lully, director of Collier Senior Center. Everyone, every senior is welcome. There's diversity there. It's vibrant. It's a caring atmosphere. So there's a reason we offer the services and programs that we do. We want to help enrich the lives of senior members and provide support to their caregivers. Want to find out more? Visit CollierSeniorCenter.org. That's CollierSeniorCenter.org. Or call the Collier Senior Center at 239-252-4541. That's 252-4541. Welcome back to the Bob Harden Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harden. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by Gulf Shore Playhouse, bringing you professional New York-style theater at its very best. You can find out more and get tickets by visiting the website golfshoreplayhouse.org. Coming up, we're going to visit with Andrew Joppa. Right now, we have with us Bob Levy. For 14 years, he served as chairman of the board of the Cato Institute, and he's currently a senior fellow emeritus in constitutional studies. Bob, thank you so much for joining us. A pleasure to be with you, Bob. Thank you, Bob. Tell us about the Cato Institute. We are a libertarian think tank headquartered in Washington, D.C., and devoted to free markets, private property, securing individual rights, and limited government. C-A-T-O dot O-R-G on the web. Thank you, Bob. So uh, last week we took up the topic of national security and uh, civil liberties, the tension between the two. So sections of the Patriot Act that authorized NSA surveillance expired and were replaced by the USA Freedom Act. What was this uh, contention about? Well, first, we had these disclosures by Edward Snowden, and that focused attention on the collection of what's called non-content phone records, which is basically dates, times, uh, what number you call, so-called metadata mm-hmm. uh, on virtually every, every, everything except the content itself of the, of the phone call. And that was on virtually every American under Section 215 of the, uh, of the Patriot Act. So I think no matter what your view of Snowden uh, is, he did spark a long overdue debate regarding the NSA. What we didn't know was uh, the full scope of the surveillance, what what could be done with the data, what triggered a further look at the content of the phone calls, uh, how long could the data be retained, who had access to it, what oversight procedures uh, were in place, and, and what would be done if if you uncovered abuse. None of that was known, and Snowden at least uh, did us the favor of focusing our attention on those um, matters of some concern. Yeah, so what has the Supreme Court said about NSA surveillance? Well, there was a big case 40 years ago called Smith versus Maryland, and that the court held that we don't have a privacy right in this non-content data, you know, who you called, when you called, how long you called, etc., as if the phone companies gather the data. That is, you sort of relinquish your right to the phone companies. But, you know, that case occurred before 
the NSA developed these sophisticated techniques to monitor just about everybody in all places at all times. Uh, the Smith case back then, 1979, involved it was just a one-time targeted request uh, for data regarding an individual suspect in a criminal uh, case. By contrast, the NSA program was a daily indiscriminate dump of data mm-hmm. uh, from from people that weren't suspected of any uh, wrongdoing. And, and most important, the government didn't cite a single instance in which the data actually stopped uh, an imminent attack. There was a 234-page report from the Privacy and Civil Liberties Oversight Board, uh, and, the, and it stated, and this is a quote, we have not identified a single instance involving a threat to the U.S. in which the program made a concrete difference in the outcome of a counterterrorism investigation or directly contributed uh, to the discovery of a previously unknown terrorist plot or the disruption, disruption of a terrorist attack. So I, I think you can say it was a bit of overkill. Maybe like TSA at the airports. Yeah. Yeah. been more invasive, but yes. Have there been recent court rulings on the metadata program? Yeah. One of the courts of appeal ruled that the metadata program didn't meet the Patriot Act's requirement that the data be relevant to an actual terrorist investigation. Um, the, the court uh, noted that Congress could not have identi- uh, intended that such an open-ended definition of of relevant, because at the time the statute was passed, uh, Congress was unaware of the scope of the the metadata uh, program. So tell us about the compromise, the USA Freedom Act. Well, we had Mitch McConnell and a lot of the conservative Republicans, and they wanted to extend the act, uh, the expiring provisions, this Section 215 metadata provision, on the other hand, we had some of the, the libertarian faction led by Rand Paul, joined by some liberal Democrats, and they wanted to repeal those provisions as too invasive. So Obama and most of the Democrats and some of the Republicans <clears throat> opted for this compromise, the USA uh, Freedom Act, passed actually seven years ago. Um, the metadata, the compromise was the metadata would be collected and retained voluntarily by the phone companies, which, of course, already were collecting the data. And then that data could be queried uh, by the government against any known terrorist numbers. But they had to go to the Foreign Intelligence Surveillance Court first and, and, and indicate that they had a reasonable, articulable uh, suspicion uh, that uh, this data was necessary to a... Uh, terrorist investigation. So that was the compromise. Hmm. So whatever changes were made to uh, the NSA surveillance methods, uh, they wouldn't have happened except for Ed- Edward Snowden's disclosures. So is he a hero, a traitor, or something in between? I think the main argument against treating Snowden as a hero is that he may have disclosed crucial uh, information to such you know, bastions of liberty as uh, Russia and China and Venezuela Ecuador, Bolivia, Nicaragua, Cuba, those were all countries where he he applied for asylum. He wanted to go there. I think, uh, you know, his remaining options were, uh, from his perspective, unacceptable. Either he could keep quiet about the NSA's program, 
Uh, or he could stay here in the U.S. and be exposed uh, to 30 years or more in prison, uh, or he could go to an allied country and, and maybe face extradition. So maybe you could understand why he would uh, be compelled to apply to some of these other countries. So on the one hand, I think he deserves our gratitude for uncovering <clears throat> some of this abuse at, at pretty substantial personal risk. On the other hand, uh, he's had help from Russia over the intervening years, and he may have, we don't know for sure, but he may have compromised some of our vital national security answers. I would not be too quick to call him a hero. So uh, is there a deal, or its name has come up just recently in the news the last couple of days, is there a deal to be made for Snowden to return to the United States? Probably not. Um, I think there's a possible outline for a deal, and that is he, he could come home and cooperate with investigators, and the uh, government would agree not to prosecute him for any actions that have already been disclosed to the public. But he could be prosecuted for other actions that are not yet disclosed that uh, may have amounted to espionage. And the, the traditional definition of that is transmitting national defense information with an intent or a reason to believe that it would be used to the injury of the U.S. or the advantage of a, of a foreign country. Snowden says that he didn't do that. Mm -hmm. uh, and government, of course, would have the burden of proving uh, that he did do it. So if Snowden's telling the truth, that should appeal to him. But I don't sense that there's likely to be a, a deal made under those conditions. So what do we know about his life in in uh, Russia right now? Is he? Uh, we I know we don't know that if, he, if he's cooperating, but uh, is he li living like a you know? If, if any, you could be free in Russia. How's his life in Russia? <laughs> you know, when I think about living in Russia, particularly what's going on there now with Ukraine, I can't imagine anybody really sensing that they're living a free life. Yeah, <clears throat> I mean, you can't even protest against being commandeered for the military in a battle that you don't want to fight. So it's it's hard to imagine a uh, a uh, free um, existence in, in Russia. But on the other hand, if I think of Russia's senses that Snowden has value to them, uh, then Snowden would be treated with kid gloves, but we really don't know. Yeah. But I believe, again, chairman, or former chairman of the Cato Institute, and now a uh, 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 Senior Fellow Emeritus in Constitutional Studies. Bob, I just genuinely appreciate your commentary here on the show. Thank you so much for joining us. Great to be with you, Bob. Thank you, Bob. And again, the Cato Institute, cato.org is the website. Coming up, Andrew Joppa, professor and author of Josephus of Oz, that and more right here on the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. <laughs> tuned for more of the Bob Harton Show here on the Bob Harton Broadcasting Network. You have questions about your retirement? Ameriprise Private Wealth Advisor Jason Nardella with Nardella Financial Group, a private wealth advisory practice of Ameriprise Financial Services, LLC, can help. With the exclusive Confident Retirement Approach, You'll work together to develop a retirement roadmap to get you where you want to go. Call Nardella Financial Group today at 239-325-1041. That's 
325-1041. Office is located at 9015 Stratistel Court, Suite 103, Naples, Florida. The confident retirement approach is not a guarantee of future financial results. Investment advisory products and services are made available through Ameriprise Financial Services, LLC, a registered investment advisor. Finish what you started with a Hodges University wheel. You can complete your bachelor's degree in as little as one year with your previously earned credits. What's the wheel? It's a customized bachelor's degree in organizational management. Learn about and apply the business, management, and leadership skills you need to advance your career. You can get unmatched educational experience with classes held once a week on campus in Fort Myers, in Port Charlotte, or Naples. You'll be immersed in classes taught by professors with real-world experience in the areas of business, management, and leadership. This degree can be applied to all areas of professional career. Learn more by calling 239-938-7700. That's 239-938-7700. Or visit Hodges.edu. Stay near and go far with Hodges University. Welcome back to the Bob Harton Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harton. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by the Foundation for Government Accountability. I hope you check out the website, thefga.org. We have with us Andrew Joppa, professor and author of Josephus of Oz. Terrific read, but off topic for today's discussion. Andy, thank you so much for joining us here on the show. Good morning, Bob. Good morning, Andy. So uh, right now, well, we usually start an interview with you're sharing some good news. So any good news? I've got some good news. Some of it's real good news. Other is potential, which might turn into good news. But it's worth mentioning at this point. First place, the United States soccer team beat Iran one nothing. Now, I'm sort of amazed that this was given tremendous political implication. I, I could never quite understand what that means. But really, it's what I'm going to talk about is the... Uh, the interview of the captain of that U.S. men's soccer team, Tyler Adams, uh, by an Iranian journalist. And when he was asked about American racism, and Tyler Adams is an African-American who's been raised by a, a white family, uh, he said, look, there's discrimination worldwide, uh, but in the, UI, in the United States we make progress. Every single day we make progress. Uh, and so I was just so pleased to hear this coming from this captain of the American soccer team. Uh, I, I hate to say this, but it never was going to be said by the women's soccer team. All of the things coming out of the women's soccer team were, were, were negative towards America. Uh, so I was, I'm going to say the word, thrilled to hear Tyler Adams speaking up for America in the international uh, journalist area. Oh, that was so refreshing, wasn't it? And the other thing is, speaking of the team as family, I mean, you could tell there is a real bond among the players, and it, uh, I think, speaks volumes about perhaps why they're doing so well in the competition. Well, I mean, I, uh, I'm not a big soccer fan. I was not uh, deep, uh, deeply involved with even rooting for the American team. But once, once I read that, uh, that interview uh, with, with Tyler Adams, you know, I became fanatically committed. So when they when they beat Iran, I was I was just thrilled. I I hope they can go further. They've got a tough game coming up on Saturday against uh, the Netherlands. Uh, that is going to be a very tough game for them. But who knows? Uh, maybe maybe they can push through, Bob. Absolutely, I feel for the uh, families and for the players going back to Iran right now because. Uh... <laughs> 
<laughs> it's just not a good place to be, which is kind of getting to our topic today, which I'm really excited to talk to you about, which is uh, there's a lot of chaos going on around in the world right now. We see what's happening in uh, Iran, which, what's happening in Russia, what's happening in, uh, well, in, in uh, South America, in Brazil. Uh, there's a lot of uh, unrest. China, a lot of unrest. There, there were a few more pieces of good news I was going to talk about. I'll get back to that because I want to make sure that we can deal with what you're just just bringing up. Now, I wasn't going to talk about Brazil, but there's every reason to believe that the Brazilian election had all of the uh, the fraud implications, as did the American implica- uh, uh, elections in 2020. Uh, as I've always felt, America is somewhat the, the leader, both in the negative and positive sense, for what happens in the world. Uh, so I I think there's very little doubt in Brazil that that election was fraudulent. Uh, it's always hard to de- determine the degree of fraud, but certainly that that was true. But I'm, I'm looking now at, at Iran, Russia, and the People's Republic of China. Now, everyone is, is almost giddy, I think, with the implication of uh, the pushback by many of the citizens in those countries uh, pursuing freedom, and I certainly laud that. Those are, those are wonderful things, Bob, and I, I, you know, I, I certainly am not going to do anything to disparage that. But I'd, I'd like just to tell a brief story about the Tiananmen Square protests and massacre in 1989, Um, there were thousands killed, perhaps. The number is still not fixed. After that took place, I received a letter back from one of my Chinese uh, graduate students. I had many Chinese graduate students in the Maritime College program for SUNY. And he wrote me and he said, Professor Joppa, uh, we all want to thank you for encouraging us uh, to pursue democracy uh, here in Shanghai and uh, across China, as a matter of fact. Now, to find that I was associated with the deaths, perhaps, of thousands of people became a burden, became something that I, I had to consider uh, in terms of the implication of, of what these things mean. Now, mm-hmm. I certainly would not hesitate uh, from teaching the same thing uh, to my Chinese students again, uh, but on the other hand, I, I became almost guilt-laden uh, because of the implication that uh, uh, my words, my uh, thoughts had had prompted what resulted ultimately in the death of what may be 10,000 people. So, again, that is not to disparage what's going on, but just to suggest that we have to have uh, perhaps larger extended thoughts on this. If we look, for example, at the the People's Republic of China, now there's a significant amount of unrest in, in China, there's no doubt. China with a billion and a half people, um, that's four times approximately the United States population. We have a nation that is perhaps uh, one-fourth or one-fifth of the world's population. If that country was to go into chaos... Uh, And certainly that is not something I'm predicting, but uh, it is something that could happen in a nation like like China. What is happening now is when poverty is widespread, then uh, people typically are able to to not be uh, offended by, by, by richness. But when there is a significant amount of richness taking place and the poor are not experiencing that, that produces a dramatic level of resentment. And I think we're seeing that. Uh, we're seeing that in China. So if we look at the implication of who might replace uh, Xi, uh, it'll probably Ding Xi Zhang. I'm not sure about that pronunciation. But he is probably going to be a a more dramatic enforcer of Xi's policy than Xi himself was. Mm -hmm. So it could lead to 
not, uh, in fact, an alleviation of the problems in China or the threats to, uh, to Hong Kong and to Taiwan, but can actually deepen those threats because of the, uh, the pushback against these things. Now, once again, I'm not disparaging the, the people of China from pursuing these things, but I think we have to look, and they have to look at the implications of what it would be if China was thrown into chaos. It'll also, if we look at Russia, Bob, the most like everybody, uh, everybody in the West, it seems, is pushing for a removal of, of, of Vladimir Putin uh, from his role as the leader of Russia. If we look at the most likely replacement candidate, candidate it's Nikolai Petrushev, who is more anti-Western than Putin and a longtime KGB associate of Putin. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we're going we're gonna to see a if there is a removal of Putin, which many in the West want that, I would predict a deepening of the the Russian nationalism and the more uh, aggressive and harsh Russian policies. So, you know, I, those are things that we have to look at. Uh, perhaps my predicting it is not exactly right. I guess I, I am fearful uh, that this type of thing could happen. If we look at the potential of what Russia can offer uh, in a, uh, a state of, again, chaos, if that takes place in Russia, there could be an escalation of cyber warfare and cyber conflict, uh, a, a further depression of energy flows uh, into Europe from Russia. So, again, once I, I hate to keep emphasizing this, Bob, but I think it's important for your audience. I, 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 I absolutely salute the activities to push back against Russia's activities. But on the other hand, we have to look at the, the possibilities of the downside on this. Uh, absolutely. If we look at Iran uh, and the, 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 the uh, protests that are going on right now, where it's estimated up to it, 400 people have already been killed uh, in the protests. Uh, if we look at who would pr- replace Ayatollah Khomeini, it, it would probably be Abraham Rezi, uh, who is a stronger hardliner uh, than is Ayatollah Khomeini. Uh, so it, it would not, in fact, produce a decrease in the, uh, in the Iranian uh, pressures on its people. It might actually increase those pressures. If we look at Iran, Bob, as the world's largest supporter of terrorism, during a state of, uh, of political pressure, there's every reason to believe that Iran, uh, in response to that, uh, would increase that level of, of sponsored terrorism. And there's a lot of talk going around right now about the possibility of Iran uh, to sort of uh, dodge the bullet of the, the public's uh, uh, pushback uh, may attack may attack Saudi Arabia. Yeah. Now, there are many other things we could say about this. For example, in China, the, uh, the incredible level of American pharmaceuticals that come out of China, and if that's disrupted, the implications of that would be would be enormous in terms of, of medical care in this country. Right now, Bob, I'm looking at a, a listing of four page, pages long of drugs that are primarily or almost exclusively manufactured in China. So I'm not predicting chaos in China, but I just think we have to understand that when these large nations, tyrannical nations, uh, maybe are on the state of, of, uh, of, of uh, entering into chaos, the implications not only for them, of course, but for the world, are enormous, Bob. They are indeed. And let's not forget uh, nuclear power as well in a, in a time of instability. There's a lot of risks involved. And, of course, nature hates a vacuum. And uh, the question is, what's going to fill the vacuum? Anyway, we need to take a little break. Can you stick around? I'll be here, Bob. All right. We're going to have more here on the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. 
tuned for more of the Bob Harden Show here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Finish what you started with a Hodges University wheel. You can complete your bachelor's degree in as little as one year with your previously earned credits. What's the wheel? It's a customized bachelor's degree in organizational management. Learn about and apply the business, management, and leadership skills you need to advance your career. You can get unmatched educational experience with classes held once a week on campus in Fort Myers, in Port Charlotte, or Naples. You'll be immersed in classes taught by professors with real-world experience in the areas of business, management, and leadership. This degree can be applied to all areas of professional career. Learn more by calling 239-938-7700. That's 239-938-7700. Or visit Hodges.edu. Stay near and go far with Hodges University. Do you suffer from joint pain in your shoulders, hips, or knees? I was suffering from debilitating pain in my knees. On a referral, I saw Dr. George Markovich with the Institute for Orthopedic Surgery and Sports Medicine. He successfully treated my symptoms and pain for several months. Finally, having exhausted all alternatives for pain management, Dr. Markovich and I agreed that surgery was my best alternative. Dr. Markovich replaced both of my knees in 2006, and I now have full range of motion in both knees, and I have no pain. I now play golf and exercise free of debilitating pain in my knees. Don't suffer needlessly with joint pain. Call orthopedic surgeon Dr. George Markovich with the Institute for Orthopedic Surgery and Sports Medicine at 482-5399. That's 482-5399. He did a great job for me, and he'll help you too. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. We're providing you news and commentary rooted in a commitment to individual liberty, personal responsibility, limited government, and the rule of law. We continue the conversation with Professor Andrew Joppa again. Andy, thank you so much for joining us. Good to be with you, Bob. So, Andy, I kind of cut you off there about good news. Uh, We kind of jumped the topic and and went right into what's happening around the world and chaos. you have any more good news? I, I do. Let me just have a... I have a... A circumstance here where life is intruding on life. Just received a text from my son. It's his birthday today, and he has COVID, and he won't be able to get out of Providence. He's there for a, uh, a legal conference until Saturday, and there was a big birthday party scheduled for him on Friday night. So it's just, you know, he's he's, he's doing well with the COVID, by the way, but uh, uh, just on his birthday to have that hit him, and, uh, you know, it just the these are the real things of life is why yeah. I'm bringing it up. So life, uh, life happens. Insert that into our conversation. <laughs> right. Thank you, Andy. So I hope he, I hope he's better soon. As I do, of course. And uh, he seems to be okay as his texts sound healthy. If the, if I can say something like that. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Getting back to the good news, Bob. Yes. Bob? Yes. Ah, okay. Um, these are potential stories in terms of they haven't uh, fully matured yet, but I think they, they portend something that's good. Uh, 42 Biden administration officials have been put on notice by House Republicans who will be taking power in January, uh, to, that they're going to be called in, interviewed, questioned 
uh, in regards to a variety of subjects, the politicization of the FBI, uh, border security, uh, the implications of the relationship uh, globally with uh, Biden, both son and father, uh, the raid on Mar-a-Lago, the origins of COVID-19. Uh, now, this, again, is a potential. We have to see how it unfolds in reality. Uh, but I'm glad to see that kind of uh, aggressiveness uh, taking place early on in the, in the pending uh, majority uh, of the Republicans in the House. So that's, that's a good news story to me. Uh, it waits to be see how good uh, the news is, but I think it is good news. Uh, there's another interesting case, which most people have not been aware of, I don't believe. It's on the Supreme Court docket at this point, which means it, it has gained legal significance by being on the docket. It's a case called Brunson versus Alma S. Adams. Now, I don't want to put you on the spot, but are you familiar with that case, Bob? Not by the name of uh, the participants, but uh, perhaps about the topic. What is the topic? Uh, the topic basically is, is a case being brought and is going to be heard apparently heard by the Supreme Court, uh, where the the uh, government in Washington, both the House and the administration, have an obligation, a 10-day legally required review of voter fraud. That is an obligation. It's a constitutional requirement uh, that they fulfill that when fraud is suggested. Now, Brunson has brought this case uh, uh, into the Supreme Court, which will challenge 385 members of Congress, uh, Joe Biden, Kamala Harris themselves, all by name, in this legal document that will be heard by the Supreme Court hmm. to determine whether there was a constitutional violation that may require, and this is going to be uh, an extreme statement that I'm going to make, that may require their removal from office. I don't think that's going to happen. But I, well, I am, again, as good news, I'm glad to see that this is reaching a level of, of legal potentiality. Now, remember, uh, this case is not investigating voter fraud per se. That isn't what this case is about. It is is about a, a challenge to why the Congress and the administration refuse to fulfill their constitutional responsibility to investigate voter fraud uh, when it was put before them, Bob. My goodness, I, I wasn't even aware that case was going into, into the Supreme Court or being heard by the Supreme Court, especially in light of what happened in Arizona uh, this past week. It's just amazing to me that these people could look uh, these uh, people in the eye and say, look, well, everything's fine. There's nothing here <laughs> in terms of voter fraud. Yeah, I mean, it's it's quite amazing what's happened in Arizona. I'm going to talk a little bit later about the uh, my my uh, about immigration and Jan Brewer, who was governor of Arizona back in uh, 2008, 9, 10, I guess. Not sure of the exact years, uh, but who had tried to fulfill the immigration laws of this country, uh, and Obama told her to shut it down with legal challenge being made against her mm -hmm. uh, if she refused to do so. So from that point, less uh, 12 years ago. When when Jan Brewer headed Arizona and, and was heading in extremely uh, the appropriate directions, in my estimation, of course, uh, to now there's been a dramatic uh, decline in the in the uh, politicization of of Arizona in total and the voting process specifically, Bob. And 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 by for the most part, Republicans. It's just amazing to me that uh, these uh, these people are rhinos, quite frankly. 
I mean, yeah, I mean, this is not a problem that is isolated to the to the Democrats. Although I look, I'm going to suggest that if there's an initiation of a fraud moment, that it's it's primarily coming from the left. I I, I can't resist that thought. It seems to be the one that can be best well, documented. It's true. But on the other hand, are there are there uh, rhinos who are complicit in it? Absolutely. Are there an, uh, another group of rhinos who uh, refuse to even consider the issues? That is also an absolute truth. So we're looking at something that is more a, a problem of, of uh, vested powers wanting to maintain those, whether they're on the left or the right, at least in Arizona, and certainly I could cite several other states in that same consideration. Yeah, abs absolutely. So back to the Supreme Court case, what would be a, a good outcome from the, uh, from the uh, justices, associate justices hearing the case, what, what would you like to see happen? I don't think, as I indicated before, that there's going to be a removal from office uh, that is suggested within this, uh, within this brief that is uh, on the docket. Uh, but essentially, I would like to at least have the Supreme Court uh, hear this situation and, and rule on it so that it brings this uh, this case uh, up to the public's awareness once again uh, gives it, and I'm hoping it gives it a legitimacy as a discussion so that uh, election deniers uh, can somehow become acceptable in the public arena and be able to make that voice heard before we hit 2024 uh, and have another repeat of 2020. And what I think happened in 2022 also, Bob, is significant levels of, of dubious votes. I'll put it in that category. So I'm I'm optimistic by the Supreme Court raising this issue of the requirement of the legal authorities in the House and the administration uh, to deal with this in an effective constitutional manner that it may, in fact, uh, produce a healthier vote in 2024. Do you think it opens the do door for uh, litigation or uh, bringing another case before the Supreme Court about results in previous elections? I would hope so. I'm, I'm not optimistic about that. The Supreme Court had originally turned down, for example, the the Texas petition to uh, to uh, to hear the uh, considerations of voter fraud. It was supported by 18 other states, and that was that was uh, they refused to take up that uh, that Texas case back in 20. Uh, so I'm not optimistic that they'll move uh, backwards, so to speak, in, in that type of direction. Uh, but yes, I, I'd like to see this. I, I am not going to make my case that voter fraud took place. I think that could be made, but I'm not going to. But I think the case can be made uh, that to suppress the challenge to voter fraud uh, in some way is absolutely inappropriate. Uh, and that is the thing that we have to get out of, way, out of the way, uh, that we have to be allowed to protest voter fraud. Now, the left has had no problem doing that. I mean, back in 2000, certainly 2016, Hillary Clinton still has not conceded that election to, right. uh, to Donald Trump. Uh, so that is not a problem for the left. But this is a problem on the right. And the media certainly has supported the attacks on the right for being election deniers. And I, I, I'd like that category of rejection uh, taken out of the mix so that we can talk about things that really matter uh, for America, Bob. Absolutely. And we need to take another little break. Can you stick around? I'll be here, Bob. All right. We're going to have more here on the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden Show here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Do you have questions about your retirement? Ameriprise Private Wealth Advisor Jason Nardella with Nardella Financial Group, a private wealth advisory practice of Ameriprise Financial Services, LLC, can help. 
With the exclusive Confident Retirement Approach, you'll work together to develop a retirement roadmap to get you where you want to go. Call Nardella Financial Group today at 239-325-1041. That's 239-325-1041. Office is located at 9015 Stratistel Court, Suite 103, Naples, Florida. The Confident Retirement Approach is not a guarantee of future financial results. Investment advisory products and services are made available through Ameriprise Financial Services, LLC, a registered investment advisor. Blue Provence Restaurant is a favorite dining destination for many Neapolitans, including Linda and myself. Blue Provence, located in a historic building in the heart of Old Naples at Creighton Cove, offers a mix of French bistro cooking with bold, fresh Floridian flavors. Experience award-winning cuisine at Blue Provence and enjoy one of Florida's most extensive, eclectic, and fun wine cellars. Dining your choice of the popular Eden Bar, the intimate courtyard garden, or the beautiful Provencal Caribbean dining room. Enjoy a wonderful and memorable evening in a casual and relaxed atmosphere that includes a taste of Provencal hospitality. Blue Provence is open seven days a week, all year round. Visit blueprovencenaples.com for reservations, everyday specials, and coming events. That's blueprovencenaples.com or call 261-8239. That's 261-8239. Blue Provence French Restaurant in the heart of Old Naples. Welcome back to the Bob Harton Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harton. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. And I remind you that uh, from Wednesday to Saturday from 4 to 8 p.m., Lulabee's Diner is serving dinner now. Now, Andy and I always meet for breakfast at Lulabee's Diner. And now they've expanded not only wonderful lunches and breakfasts, but also dinner as well. They've got a terrific menu, including all kinds of salmon, snapper, grouper, and, uh, and much more. So, again, Lulabee's Diner at the Green Tree Shopping Center. We continue the conversation with Andy Joppa. Andrew, of course, uh, is a professor and author of Josephus of Oz. Andy, again, thank you so much for joining us. Always good to be with you, Bob. Thank you, Andy. So you had some more good news. Well, I'm going to position this as good news. I... I... I'm constantly amazed at what is positioned as racism in America. And I think every time an absurd story comes out that is defined as, as racism, uh, I think it puts another nail in the coffin of this, of this imagery that America is a racist nation, merely by the absurdity of having to invoke uh, these silly type of things to document racism. Here's the most recent case. I don't know if you've, you've been aware of it, but uh, recently daylight savings time has been positioned as being racist because, and this is the reason, because it disrupts sleep patterns. Now, since minorities are, in fact, more subject to health variables, negative health variables, when their sleep patterns get disrupted, it has more impact on minorities than it does on majority population. Hence, daylight savings time is racist. And by the way, they don't just suggest that this is something that has a negative impact on minorities. They suggest that by intent, daylight savings time <laughs> is designed to have negative health implications on minority populations, which is so absurd that I think it, it, uh, it, it, it 
it really focuses on the, the rest of the issues that have come up that have proven to be uh, off the Bubba Wallace noose, the Jesse Smollett uh, incident in Chicago. And we can just uh, numerate the, the, the multiple number of, of absurd things that have been uh, positioned as racist. This is the, only the most recent in a long list of things, Bob. Well, I will say, Andy, in my, my opinion, that the, this is a race for clicks among these agencies that they call themselves news agencies. But unfortunately, they're instead of trying to instead of reporting the news and what's going on in the world and talking about policy they're simply trying to get people to click what's this all about so again it's drawing attention to the very fringes of our society as opposed to talking about what really matters in in society well i knew there was a problem with journalism when i started to read of those coming out of the columbia school of journalism and the other schools of journalism that the the people going in they wanted to make a difference now, that sounds good on the surface, but what it means in practice is that they wanted to uh, essentially politicize their, uh, their news stories, not the editorials, but the news stories in a specific political direction that they thought was appropriate. And certainly with, I, I guess the latest number I saw is that 92% of journalists uh, either list themselves as liberal or independent. I've always found that most independents are liberal who are hiding. Uh, so the number 92% of, ju- of journalists who are liberal may be closer to a total truth than not. Uh, so we're looking at, and what you're describing is a result of, of that, uh, is this uh, absurd consideration uh, that's given to minuscule news, news stories turned into significant statements that pollute the minds of our and I'm going to suggest it's primarily our younger populations, Bob. Yeah, no, I agree. In fact, I, I've come to believe that independents, it's basically a, a conser- or, uh, progressives who are trying to virtue signal and, and say that they're basically thinking things through more than most. So. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh... So, I mean, this is a major problem. I, I sometimes get the feeling that uh, the media is not the, uh, you know, working for the Democrat left, that the Democrat left is working for the media. No, uh, right. I'm not sure which is the chicken and the egg sometimes in the equation. So, um, you know, I obviously I believe it's the, the, the Democrat left that controls the media. Uh, but on the other hand, when I see the Democrat, the media, uh, so leading the stories uh, almost before the political voice is expressed, uh, it seems that uh, it could be that it's the media that is that is running what the left eventually decides to take under under their wing. No, no question about it. Uh, last call before I let you go. Uh, the election in Georgia. What are your thoughts? Uh, I, I I don't know. Um, I I feel about the same way I did in uh, in twenty uh, in twenty twenty. Um, I, I believe that uh, Walker should win merely because of the uh, the background characteristic of Warnock. Um, you know, there are many things that keep getting kicked up. I, I just saw recently, I don't know if it's substantiated, that, um, that Walker's legal address is in Texas and he's voting in Georgia. Uh, so there's so much being thrown around. I know that the African-American vote has turned out in huge numbers. Now, that would sound perhaps good. But in the surveyed results, the majority of the African-American vote uh, has been going towards Warnock. So if I was to predict who's going to win this, I would predict Warnock is going to, is going to get the win. Yeah, unfortunately, we end up uh, voting in, in, into office Fetterman, but not, not, not Herschel Walker, which would be really pathetic. And it's, again, the Democrats understand, hey, uh, Fetterman, he can't talk, he, you know, he can't think, but hey, he's a vote in our side. So. Fetterman has a number five zero on his back. 
Five zero. That, that's who Fetterman is. He is five zero. Exactly. Andy, I just always appreciate your commentary here on the show. Thank you so much for joining us here on we'll the show. We'll talk soon, Bob, and we'll do breakfast, hopefully. Huh? Absolutely. Thank you, Andy. Well, that's a wrap here on today's show. I hope you enjoyed it. We've got great guests lined up for tomorrow, including Keith Flaw, co-founder of the Florida Citizens Alliance. We'll be talking about what's going on in public education in Florida. Michael Cannon is the director of health policy studies at the Cato Institute. Seton Motley, the founder and president of Less Government and the former mayor of Naples, Bill Barnett, and he'll catch us up on what's happening locally as well. Always appreciate your comments on the show. You can send me an email at bobharden at hotmail.com, bobharden at hotmail.com. Also, if you enjoy the show, Tell your friends. Have them listen to it because it supports our advertisers and they make it all happen. I hope you make it a great day on the Paradise Coast or wherever you are. Namaste. Thanks so much for listening to the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. For more information and audio files of previous shows, visit www.bobharden.com.